1: When I was about 25 years old, I was uh, busted and into jail, and it was there that I came to the Lord. History Makers with Matt Prater. Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Coming to you from the USA, I'm at the studios of The Light FM in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, which is part of the Billy Graham Training Centre. And uh, it's wonderful to be catching up with one of the local history makers here in the USA. His name's Colin Pinckney. He's a visionary and executive director of the Harvest Centre here in the USA. We're going to find out a bit of his story today. Welcome along, Colin. Tell us a bit of your background. Where were you born and raised?
0: Well, uh, Matt, first of all, thanks for having me. What, What an awesome opportunity, experience to be with you this morning. Uh, I was actually, though I live in Charlotte now, I was born in a town called Fort Campbell, Kentucky, which is a military town. My dad served uh, 29 years in the armed forces, and I was born there, the seventh of nine children, but I was raised in another military town called Fayetteville, North Carolina, Fort Bragg Military Base. It's where all the sort of first responders of the military um, are launched from whenever there's... uh, Crisis of military crisis in the world. They typically leave from Fort Bragg, and I grew up there around a lot of military families.
1: And tell us a bit about your upbringing. Were you raised in a religious household? So uh,
0: I, it was a different kind of religion. Um, uh, my unfortunately, our family, my father, um, my parents separated when I was eight years old. So a big part of my upbringing was in a sort of a single parent household. Um, and um, it was semi-religious. Uh, my mother did sort of uh, sort of a- access her a faith life, a faith walk, if you will. In those days, we didn't have much understanding, but it was during that time that I personally made a decision to follow Christ out of the sort of the brokenness of my home. Um, I can talk more about that if you like a little bit later.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm curious to know about uh, your conversion experience because, you know, it's different for, for everyone. Uh, yep. did, you, did your life change much after you came to Christ?
0: First time, no. <laughs> and that's interesting. You know, there were, my, my convergence uh, to the Lord was really um, out of a broken heart. I was a 11-year-old little boy growing up in a home where there was no dad. Uh, and there was a lot of dysfunction. Uh, While my dad was in the home, he was a very dominant figure, military man, sergeant, commanded troops in Vietnam in the war, in the Korean wars. He was a strong presence, so I had that visual, um, but when he left, there was a big void in my life, Uh, and I was the seventh of nine children, and I remember how lonely I felt during those years after he left. And I remember one morning, one Wednesday afternoon, I recalled there were certain Wednesdays when we lived on the military base where we would go over to the local chapel and they had a little kids' church. And we would go there and there was a little teacher there. And that particular Wednesday, I uh, asked mom, I said, mom, can you take me to church? I wanted to go to church. I was feeling really melancholy that day. And Mom took me, must have been a 20-mile drive from where we used to live on the base to off the base, and she dropped me off by myself. I was 10, 11 years old, and I went to the kids' church that Wednesday evening, uh, and I remember the the teacher asking the question, telling the story of how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed uh, would be... um, not perish, but have eternal life. And I remember her asking this question, and this is what healed my heart, began the healing. She said, does anybody want to be loved like that? It was a love call that made me come to Jesus because I was living, I was a little boy with a broken heart, longing for his dad, and that was the call to love. And from then until I left for college, about seven years later, there wasn't much change. Life stayed the same. My family was still broken and dysfunctional. Uh, and I went away to college at a college called North Carolina State University in Raleigh, North Carolina. And there I really committed my life to the Lord uh, at a local campus ministry. And that's when things started to change.
1: Well, tell us a bit about the next step in your journey. So you're at college. You're, you're getting on fire for God. Uh, what was the yeah. transition uh, you know, for career into ministry? What, what kind of work did you do at the time after, after college?
0: Uh, I got into a restaurant and uh, retail and hotel management. I spent years working with a big company with a big M on the logo. <laughs> it taught me a lot about management and really steeped my heart for community work. That's re- that's why I realized now I got bit with the bug to really work in the community, not just in a not just spiritual work in the church, but really be in the community making a difference. Uh, and I uh, did that for several years and then transferred from there to another company with a big M on their logo in the hotel business, and where I met my wife. Uh, we met there uh, and got married in 1997. And there were six kids that have come along and uh, celebrating uh, soon. Our, 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 this year, we'll celebrate our 28th year of what? of marriage, our, our wedding anniversary this year.
1: Oh, congratulations. And uh, I've read, read a little bit about your ministry. Tell us a bit about what you're currently doing. Um,
0: you know, uh, our ministry is really a reconciling ministry. We Our, our goal is to uh, transform the lives of formerly homeless men, women, and families with children uh, to see them move to full, productive, independent living that includes permanent housing, life-sustainable work, and a connection to a community of faith. Those three markers kind of set the stage for how we work with families in our transitional housing ministry. We actually have housing on our campus where individuals and families can live with us for up to 18 months while they get a whole total reset uh, in their life, mental, spiritual, physical, uh, emotional. We, uh, We have a staff that works holistically to help people reshape and reconcile their lives, first in the natural, but also in the spiritual ultimately, that's the the ultimate transformation, to be reconciled to God. And that's
1: our calling. I love that you've got a holistic approach. You know, there's a a lot of ministries that give a hand out, but it sounds like you give a hand up as well. And you're saying life's transformed, hey?
0: Yeah, that's surely it. I mean, our, our ministry was most informed by the work of the Chalmers Institute in Atlanta, Georgia, Stone Mountain, Georgia. There's a book they wrote years ago called When Helping Hurts. And it, it gives a framework for the idea that you can actually buy, there's a certain way you can help people that actually lifts them, but there's a way you can attempt to help them that actually hurts them. And the premise of that work is to be holistic, to empower people rather than, than to enable people. You know, it's so old adage, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day, teach him how to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. And then we add to that and he'll help feed
1: others. Well, it's awesome to hear about your, your ministry among the homeless and, I'm also curious to know about your chaplaincy role in basketball. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, I've been doing that for 19 years now, just having the time of my life. It's nothing I intended to do. Uh, it's sort of one of those unintended consequences that came as a result of being, knowing some of the right people at the right time. A good friend of mine, Dale Curry, um, invited me in about 19 years ago when the team came back to the city uh, He and literally to sit and do Bible study with the players. And when we started, it was the, the male players and the female players, and even the cheerleaders were involved. Uh, but over the years, it's sort of sort of just kind of got drawn back to just the players and the coaches. It's, a, it's called the NBA Players Chapel Ministry that was actually launched in the late 1970s uh, by a guy named Bobby Jones and Julius Irving, Dr. J. They wanted to do Bible study when they played together with the the old Philadelphia 76ers, and it's continued to this day. And now every NBA team has a chaplain. Some have two. And every NBA ball game is preceded by a chapel service one hour before tip-off. And most fans would be surprised to know that. But it's a neat gig to get to sit with these guys. And we talk about things other than basketball. I mean, we talk about basketball, but we talk about life. We provide them sort of the emotional, spiritual support, and care they need as they go through their careers, and even after their careers. Um, so it's been a fun ride. I never thought I something I would do because in my daily work I work with some of the poorest citizens in the city, dare say the country. And then in my after hours I get to sit with some of the wealthiest, most talented individuals that you've ever seen. And 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 to find out that there's this common convergence of of, of reality, that they're all people and they all have some of the same passions and dreams and hopes and desires and it just looks different on the outside, but on the inside they're all longing for something meaningful, something purposeful, um, and I and I get to I get to do that, and it's fun. It's it's a blessing.
1: And the team that you work with is the Charlotte Hornets, owned by Michael Jordan, one of my heroes right. growing up. Have you got to meet MJ? What, what's he like?
0: I have. I tell you what, he is the off camera. He's one of the most humble men you'd ever want to meet. I mean, the guy walks in such a level of humility. Uh, I can't imagine what it's like to be him though. Right. I mean, we have such expectations of him, but I think he carries it. Well, very humble. He very much appreciates the chapel ministry. Uh, he encourages it for all the players. Um, and he's a very generous man, very generous in our city, does a lot of great things for kids who are in need and, and healthcare and, and housing and education. He's just a great, a great generous heart. And when he's off, but he's a competitor, i tell you that. He, he likes, you know, people, I think people, he gets a bad rap for only wanting to win. I think he just wants people to give their best effort. You know, that's what I've learned from him. Just do your best. Put it all on the line. Live like there is no tomorrow. Play like play like this is the only game. And, and, and it shows up in how he, of course, how he lived his life, how he achieved his greatness. But now I think he's trying to create opportunities for other people to do the same in and outside of the league. And it's just fun to watch.
1: Well, what a blessing it is to uh, have a guy like you uh, as a chaplain for the the Hornets. Uh, I, uh, um, I I envy you. I'd love to be there hanging out with those basketballers and uh, and doing Bible yeah. studies with them in chapels. That'd be that'd be awesome. Uh, but I'm awesome. also curious to know uh, a bit about your mentoring and training. Uh, you've mentored and trained more than six thousand men as chairman yeah. of the Father Daughter Summit. Tell us a bit about yeah. that. Well,
0: again, you know, most of my life is a convergence of things that I did not plan. You know, the Bible says the man make plans his steps, but the order, the man may make his plans, but God orders his steps. And, you know, I had a plan to live a good life, to, to live a life of meaning and purpose. Uh, and years ago, when my wife and I had our first child, uh, our first son, he was born a preemie. Uh, I realized that I wasn't fully equipped. There were things I didn't know. I was scared to death, Uh, didn't get a lot of training from my dad. So I began to look and search for ways to grow my own fathering skill set. And I found a great resource in an organization called the National Center for Fathering, out in Kansas City, Missouri. Trained with them, got certified and came back to the city and just began to teach men what I was learning and what I knew and what was helping me to be a better dad, to live, Fully into the role that I believe God had called me to live. And through that, I just, things just kept coming my way opportunities to serve more men, to lead conferences in the city. And the idea is to train men to be, you know, fully competent, carrying dads at home, um, because most men uh, have to learn that. It's not a lesson that's easily taught because most men grew up with a vacuum like I did of not having a healthy role model in their home, so they'd have to find that learning somewhere else. So I've been privileged to teach a lot of men what I've learned that helped me a lot, and it's a blessing. It's just a blessing.
1: Well, it's awesome to hear about all these different aspects of your ministry, and, you know, this program's called History Makers, and uh, yep. just before we started recording, you shared a bit of a story about uh, how this interview came to be. Do you want to just share that with us?
0: Yeah, I don't know if you guys should see this, but there's a book that I had picked up a couple of weeks ago called The History of Charlotte. And I was thinking about our theme, our ministry theme for two two thousand twenty three for this year, and the Lord really made it clear for me to share with the team and others that our our effort this year would be to make history. Charlotte is a very if you know anything about the city, it's an up and coming city, a lot of great things happening, but it has to shame one of the worst uh, one of the worst track records on moving children and families out of poverty in their lifetime. It's a bad, it's a tragic history, like a lot of cities across the nation. And we, and I, God just impressed me to be intentional, make history in that way, to, to, to create generational wealth, to break the cycle of poverty where we can. And I just shared that that morning, one morning last week um, with the staff, and then I got a text from my friend there, Billy Graham Braxton. He said, hey, Colin, there's a guy who wants to do a podcast and he's talking to folks and he says that he's got this podcast called history makers and he kept talking said wait a minute you got to stop braxton you just said history makers and i you know just god just confirmed that that was his will for us this year that that even in that uh chance meeting between you and i that he confirmed in my heart that what he had shared privately that he now wanted me to move forward with in ministry and i thank god for that i thank god for you being obedient to to do what you do who would who would have figured only god could have made a guy from australia Guy from North Carolina connect like this. Only guy that's that's history right there. That's
1: history, right? Yeah. No, I just I got shivers up my spine just hearing that story, and uh, you know I I just think it's a God thing that we're chatting today, and uh, I hope that many people will be encouraged uh, to hear what you're doing with your gifts. You're making history uh, with your calling in life. And uh, I'd love to come and visit one day, so hopefully I can come over and uh, and check out your ministry. And uh, you should come and visit us in Australia. Do you know much about Australia? I know there are kangaroos there, I think, right? (laughs) That's it, (laughs) (laughs) And
0: I think the basketball player who once played with Michael Jordan
1: is a guy from there, right? That's right, yeah. I think Adam Langley, I think that's his name. Yeah, so
0: so that's about all I know, but I'd love to come. I've, I've made a commitment now that all our kids are older, our youngest is 21, The wife and I have intention to do some travel around the world. We want to see what God did on other parts of the planet.
1: Yeah. um, Well, you're welcome to come down under and uh, do some ministry in Australia. We'd love to have you. And uh, it's been awesome to hear a bit about your ministry. If people want to find out more, uh, what's the best website for them to go to?
0: Our website, theharvestcenter.org, theharvestcenter.org. Great place to go. Check out our Facebook, too, same name. Um, Facebook is a little bit more up to date on what's happening day to day, but the website, you can find ways to connect with us there.
1: Well, Colin, it's been awesome to catch up with you today, mate. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you for letting me make history with you.
1: Thanks so much. God bless. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. You'll also find links to all of our social media channels and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. History Makers is a faith based ministry and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at HistoryMakersRadio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater and my challenge to you now is to go and make history.
0: Matt Prater's latest book is now available History Makers, Devotions, Downloads and Dad Jokes. It will take you on a journey through God's Word and will hopefully give a few laughs along the way. It's just $15 plus postage. Order now at historymakersradio.com. Discounts available for bulk orders. The heart behind this book is to
1: challenge people to get into the habit of daily devotions with Jesus. Find out more at historymakersradio.com. Station sponsor.